listeners and welcome to the first episode in series two of the Union's 21 podcast. We're very pleased to be back with you again after a short break. Yay! <laughs> wow. I've just heard Simon's ears by screaming less, down the microphone. Less volume, with less volume, Becky, thank you. And, uh, and, and we've, got, we've got a really good series lined up for you. In, in future episodes, we're going to be talking to, to a, a trio of, of um, luminary academics, I suppose. These are the people who are really setting the pace in terms of thinking on industrial relations yes. and stuff like that. Our good friend Mel Sims yes. from the University of Glasgow, Andy Hodder, uh, who's well-known for doing a lot of research work, particularly into PCS, but uh, young workers generally. Young workers, yeah. And Jane Holgate as well. Um, we're, they will each have their own spot in, uh, in, in future podcasts. Um, we're looking forward to talking to them greatly. Yes, my go- almost my go-to academics. So... Which literally just means me going. I think I've I think I've heard of this before. Am I going completely nuts? To which Mel usually says. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but later on in this episode, we're going to be looking at the economy, uh, and in fact, we're going to be looking at economy, the organisation, which is a fantastic new uh, new kind of uh, sort of social action, public education, public education to, to, to basically take the dryness out of teaching economics. It's, I mean, I loved, I love the idea behind it. As somebody who's tried to study economics twice in my life, and at both times, my brain has literally just, like, gone completely, like, shutters down. It doesn't make any sense to me. The way those guys try to explain the economy and economics and make it for everyday people. I think it's a really good initiative and I think it's something that the trade union movement should really get behind. Well, you'll be able to judge for yourself, listeners, when we talk to Antonia Jennings uh, from Economy a little later in this podcast. But before then, our usual roundup of all that's been happening in trade union land. Big news, I guess, is the DPD announcement that they've seen the error of their ways following the tragic death of Don Lane. It's a shame that actually you have to have something as serious as that to make uh, employers think about their working practices. Uh, it is absolutely, absolutely, literally tragic. Um, uh, but I, I suppose you should, we should welcome good news, however belated or whatever the circumstances that are behind it coming into, into force. And the fact that in July DPD are going to do away with this kind of precariat model of working and, as I understand it, are going to offer employees... Uh, three choices. They can either be uh, employed in normal sense, they can carry on being self-employed, or they can be workers. And they've got a couple of former Labour MPs who are advising them on the, the way in which this, this will work, which is good. Mm. Uh, and really, it could, it could actually it could be a real game-changer. It could re- really be you know, the beginning of the end, properly, of, of exploitative, precarious working practices. But... But I think we both think that, that you know, there's, there's some issues here that really need to be looked at. Well, I mean, when we were talking about it, the first thing that kind of sprung into my head was if you get the choice between being self-employed, a worker or an employee, and you get a whole load of people want to be employees, doesn't that create a disparity in work that could then cause, you know, uh, claims further down the line? Not that I'm against that. I'm just sort of saying... If you're offering people the opportunity to be employees, why don't you just go employees or self-employed? Well, I would say, in a legal sense, perhaps it's even it's even more stark, isn't it? Mutually exclusive. You're, you, if you're if you're a worker, you can't be an employee. If you're an employee, you can't be a worker. Yeah. Uh, but so but it'd be interesting you, to see how that works out. Yeah, but if you can make people either employees or workers, 
surely you should make give them you can give them the thing that gives them the most well, <laughs> protection and rights. Would that not be a good thing? As I understand it, and we'll have to wait till July to see how it turn, fan, mm. finally pans out, they're gonna be, you're going to be paid at different rates depending on which category of engagement with the company you choose. So perhaps you get less security if you're a worker but a higher daily rate. Is that the way it's going to work? I, I don't know. Wait and see. I feel like internally I'm rolling my eyes and just thinking about how is this actually going to be sold as well? How are people going to be educated? Who's going to do the education over these three different tiers? And because you, you I'm not. I don't know whether I've woken up cynical this morning, but it does seem to me that you know you could sell the self-employed thing very well and make people think that that's in their best interest when it might not be. Uh, same with the worker aspect. I don't know. We'll see how it it goes. Oh, yeah, we, I'd be interested to. I'd be interested to see how it all gonna, goes along the line. But it does show that actually, this whole kind of precarious working doesn't have to be like it is. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. And in, interestingly, part of the mix here is that is that DPD's clients, Marks and Spencers, I think, uh, a couple of other big. John Lewis. You know, John Lewis. High, you know, retailers who value their brand identity as being at the kind of higher end of, uh, of, of the food chain, as it were, they were they seem to have said, "Hang on a minute, you know, what, we're dealing with you, and you, you know, you are." Some people might say, "Killing your workers." Yeah, um, yeah. You know, Reputation and damage is, them. is, you know, is is difficult. I mean, uh, killing your workers in quotes, not not something I'm accusing DPD of, of course. <laughs> but, but but yeah, Quite. so so it's it's the reputational damage um, that that plays a part in this so one to watch i suppose yeah and and it'd be interesting to see from a union point of view because obviously the more people you have who are employees or workers the easier question mark it might be to go down a statutory route might well be might well be although i mean shout out to the gmb particularly in scotland who are representing i think over 30 dpd drives at the moment in terms of grievances against the company so it shows that you can do it i mean we all know it's hard but you can do you can do an organizing and recruitment job yeah yeah. even in this uh even in this sector okay so other things that have kind of caught caught our eyes we we, we, we were talking before before about about like a swede and this is this is a this is a twitter hashtag that's come from the swedish trade union confederation i believe yeah it's one so it's a bit of a kind of preview from what we're talking about our conference in a couple of weeks time one of the things that's caught my eye uh, is an initiative by uh, one of the swedish trade union confederations called uh, like a swede and it is a, a social media campaign and the whole idea about it is to highlight all the really good things about working in Sweden that come from a collective agreement. Sounds good. Yeah. So, I mean, on paper, it should be quite... It kind of feels like it might be a little bit cringe, cringy. But actually, I think um, there's some... If you go onto YouTube and you type in Like a Swede, they've done a couple of uh, videos. One where it's um, sort of almost pitting the Anglo-American model of capitalism and uh, industrial relations against the sort of Swedish model and and kind of making it look like it's the best in the world. And then there's one which I thought was quite funny about um, what would happen if bots and artificial intelligence formed a union. They'd be on strike in a jiffy. (laughs) (laughs) So the, the thing that's 
you know, we've been talking an awful lot with our private sector and public sector unions about collective voice and the need for collective bargaining. And it's going to be a massive piece of work for us over the next 18 months. And the, the thing that's been kind of ringing around in my ear is how we talk about what collective voice is and what collective bargaining is. And um, there was a, there's a group over in America called Topos, and they did some work around how we talk about our victories and how we talk about unions. And they seem very much rooted in the past, you know, like the that Australian video, what have unions ever done for us? Yes, yes. I mean, we all watch it and we think, oh, like, that's funny. But actually, Topos argue that what it does is it roots us as historical organisations. Well, well, it does. I mean, it does. It, yeah, these, these are necessarily past victories. Yeah. And, and you hear some people, when I talk to sort of 16 to 18 year olds for example about the role of trade unions sometimes frequently the question I get is well well, it's anachronistic there, yeah. there, there's no problem left I'm thinking you guys haven't been into the world of work yet <laughs> you really haven't but anyway but, but, but the, that message that, that Australian commercial which is, which is very very funny you know but, but does root us in the past so I imagine the like a Swede thing is more about an ongoing dialogue that carries on from the past into the present and into the future yeah it kind of Makes, it's, I think it's kind of like an awakening for Swedish people around the fact that they've got all of these great terms and conditions because of collective bargaining. And so they use collective bargaining as opposed to unions per se because it's the mechanism that they're trying to educate Which, people Which, again, around. is a more enduring thing, isn't it? The process yeah. as opposed to the particular actors in it. Yeah. And, I, I mean, you know, they, they've tried a few different iterations of the hashtag in the kind of the social media campaign and some of them I think have been more successful than others um but it's just really just to kind of start us thinking about the future of unions and what we do differently in the future that kind of um awareness campaign seems to be quite an interesting thing to consider absolutely and 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 staying in continental Europe there's there's (laughs) The Almost said staying in Europe. <laughs> I chose my words carefully. Um, Kunstenbond. Kunstenbond. Your Dutch is better than mine, but it, that's an artist's federation yeah, in the Netherlands. the Artists' Association. So um, I've become this massive geek over... Well, I'm always a massive geek when it comes to random union histories and stories... And this is uh, Simon's looking at I'm me just saying, as if you're, to say, you're, you're being too hard on yourself. Listeners, <laughs> you went wrong, but, but Becky actually studied in the Netherlands, studied, <laughs> studied labour, contemporary labour studies. <laughs> so, so therefore, it's, it's kind of more than a passing interest for her. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that's, that's come to my attention in the past sort of four months is this uh, really interesting. Dutch union called the Artists Association or Kunstenbond, so that's K-U-N-S-T-N-B-O-N-D dot N-L. So I, I, you can go to the website and you can do a Google Translate on it and you can read everything. So don't worry that you kind of get hit up with all the Dutch and you don't understand the Dutch. And I'd encourage our listeners to go and have a look at it, to go have a look at the website. This is because essentially... What has happened in the Dutch trade union movement is a bit of a reorientation and, in some respects, a bit of a seismic shift in how people are organised. So, just to give you a bit of background, 
There are four trade union confederations in the Netherlands uh, who operate with four different employers, broad employers associations. The Dutch kind of work on this kind of pillar of society, almost like keep keeping life in balance, so to speak. So like there's a yin and a yang. And for every kind of trade union confederation, there is a employers federation. And then you've got government also coming in. Would, would the employers federations in the UK were so strong? The fact that they're not is, seems to be a major undermining of the case for effective sectoral level bargaining and planning. I, I, that's a tangent. That is a tangent, but we don't talk about it enough. That actually we don't have employers associations to bargain with anymore, really. So, anyway, but so that digression aside, I could get on that soapbox all day. What, what has happened is the equivalent of the TUC... You know, so the FNV is the biggest of all of the confederations. And it's like a mixture of a big general union, so like GMB or Unite, mixed with the TUC. And it used to be that there was the kind of the, the FNV with all the different sections. And what they've done is they've amalgamated a few of the bigger sections to be a real big general union, and then they've got a whole host of other associations and organisations. So Nautilus, our very own Nautilus, is one of those associations or trade unions that are affiliated to the FNV. Now, in the media sort of union section... There was a recognition, I think, that they were finding it difficult to organise the freelancers and the kind of the more artistic end, so not the kind of craft. Although, obviously, I say this, I'm sure a lot of actors would say they hone a craft, but what I mean is it's you've, you've got your producers and your gaffers and your camera people on one side, and then you've got your kind of artists and designers and all that kind of stuff on the other side. So what they did was essentially they split the union in two, they kept the FMV KIEM, who've been doing some separate work around some, one of the case studies that we've got in our paper coming up for conference, and then they created the Kunsten Bond. Now, the reason I'm so intrigued by the Kunsten Bond, and uh, hopefully our unions are going to be able to meet with them to talk about how they're working, is because the Fabian's paper talked about flexible membership. Our last paper talked about the importance for unions to have flexible membership, but I actually went out and tried to look for a model of flexible membership so that we could see how it might work. And the Kunsten Bond is kind of the closest model to that. So what they do is, instead of having stratification of membership dependent on your salary, what they do is they say, what would you like to pay for your union? Is it that open? It I mean, is. It, you it, literally, you just go, there's, there's three different options. There's student... There's full and there's basic. So it's not that open, really. You, you, there are three different levels. But it's three different levels, yeah, but you choose which one you want. That's fine, but, I mean, you can't just think... It's, 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 you know, there are some you know, some restaurants, for example, will say, well, you pay us what you think it's worth. It's oh, yeah. Times, it's not that sort of yeah, thing. No, it, oh, yeah, no, it's not that kind of honesty box trade unionism. <laughs> honesty box trade unionism. We'll bank that one. We'll yeah. come back with that one. Honesty box trade Trademark. unionism. Trademark. Okay. So, <laughs> all right, so... so Okay, so so there is there is a flexibility, and what do you get? Sort of, I mean, what's the difference between what you get if you're basic and if you're full, as it were? I think it's so basic. What you do is you go onto their kind of join page, and it'll ask you kind of which level that that you want. It will also ask you whether you're freelance or whether you're directly employed. And when you click ZZPER, 
that's freelance. It's the, um, the uh, what's, what's the word, nickname for freelancers. When you click on that, it automatically changes the uh, benefits that you get. Right. So what it does is it does your normal stuff like contracts, in either way, negotiated contracts, collectively negotiated contracts. It kind of puts that front and center advice if you've got any issues at work. Um, and then what it does is it says things like uh, collectively represent the industry to government and beyond and be the voice of the industry in the country. And that's something that has a particular resonance or, or is it a selling point, if you like, almost? Particularly, I mean, generally, I suppose, but particularly in the context of FNV and the Dutch trade union movement. Yeah, it's about the, being the voice of the industry or being an integral part of the of an integral voice in the industry and advocating for it and advocating for its growth and advocating for its support. All of these things that, that I know our unions do already in their industries, you know, they advocate for their industries. I just think it's really interesting how it's put front and centre before anything like you get your discount. I mean, I, I couldn't even see like your dis discounted car yeah, or, or, or insurance or, or anything or, like that, or, um, or or improvements in pay, or negotiations on conditions. Or, it, that's that put in. Stuff. That's put in as well. But it's but it's framed as a collective. So in terms in, in terms of the debates that that, that uh, are gathering pace, I think, and will certainly and will certainly feature greatly at our conference on the thirteenth of April about the future of trade of trade unions. Here is a practical example of looking at what I call variegated membership rates. Mm. Um, it, and it goes beyond the, 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 kind of, uh, the kind of, you know, you can be a supporter or you can be a member and you get very different things there. Mm. Actually, the, the, the basic rate is nevertheless something that is of value. You know, yep. I think you get, you know, basic rate members, for example, get so many hours yeah, yeah. free advice on their contracts, yeah, yeah. For, 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 for example. So, what, and presumably it's too early to tell whether or not this has produced a a positive result. It is. We're having conversations with them now to find out exactly how things are going and what, and they're being really open to us and, and answering all my questions and it's becoming a really interesting dialogue. I think the important thing is, is that sometimes we look an awful lot to America for, or Australia for our kind of inspiration for how we could change the way we do things. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that, but I think sometimes we do miss out on our European counterparts. <laughs> I don't know whether I'm just feeling now really super nostalgic, given what's <laughs> going to come in. But, you know, if you think about the fact that we are increasingly in a globalised world, and, you know, I mean, I've had experience of working on European works councils, and we do need to really build up these links with um, the other European trade unions so that we can see what they're doing and how they're adapting to the challenges that they face. Because, look, right in the Dutch um, system, 80% of people are covered by a collective bargaining agreement. 80, 8 zero. 8 zero. <coughs> yeah, but they only have 18% membership. Yeah. So, you know, we have, what, 24, 23% density... But we have minuscule rates of collective bargaining coverage in comparison. So their challenge is slightly different from us, but it's useful to see how they recognise those challenges, how they adapt 
to those challenges and move on. It's it's about it's about a series of things for for, for me. It's about engagement, how, how, engagement and traction. Mm. How do you engage with people who are your members, your prospective members, and how do you get traction for the ideas that you want? How do you advance your 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 agenda? How do you make sure there's effective employee voice? Mm. And that doesn't necessarily correlate with having a high level of membership, but no. it does correlate with a high level of engagement. Yeah. Interesting, interesting times. And it's nothing to do with the global economy, I, I think. I think it's just common sense, if you like, that you need to, to search for and disseminate examples of best practice. Yeah, but I think you need to... I think in an increasingly globalised world, I think you also need to just be aware of, like, ownership of organisations, and sometimes you get more traction in other countries that help you to do what you need and to do in ours. That's for sure. Very true, very true. And talking about helping each other... Which is basically what that what that was. Um, <laughs> we we were very grateful to have the help of Antonia Jennings from Economy when we when we met with her in the last few days to talk about about her work on demystifying uh, economics and the campaign for greater clarity and therefore greater social engagement with the way economic policy is determined. And I hope you will enjoy this uh, this discussion with her, uh, which is coming up right now. Well, listeners, with me now, with me and Becky, is, is Antonia Jennings from Economy. Welcome to the podcast, Antonia. Thank you very much. And, and I mean, Economy is a fascinating organisation, as we, we've just been discussing. I mean, could you tell the listeners kind of what the mission statement is? Sure. So um, we're about two and a half years old, and we're a public education charity. And what we're trying to do is increase everybody's understanding of economics and also reform the people that are uh, communicating around it. So, I mean, underlying that is a presumption that actually there's a, there's a gap. People are ignorant or scared or, 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 or inarticulate about economics. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I don't, I wouldn't blame anyone for that. Um, but one of our first pieces of research showed that um, amongst the UK, um, only 12% of people find economics as presented in the media and by politicians accessible. And so what we think is if we want to say our democracy is working to any extent, that's a, a huge hole. And we work to increase that number. I, I would say my experience of doing economics would be about that, that I am very much in the majority of people that kind of read books and looked at things and kind of went, I have no idea whether I'm holding the book in mm. the right way. Econometrics, what are you about? And why <laughs> Why have we got to be friends at some point in time? Mm. And actually, you know, doing the job, sort of job I do, which is looking at labour market statistics, I feel mm. kind of I've got myself in a place where I am comfortable with it but in no way would I say I I completely understand guilt and yeah. like various chains of things when it comes on the news well it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a it's a paradox isn't it on the one hand I mean it's dry you know the conventionally say say economics sexy subject exciting subject so many people go no, no. Uh, dry 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 but on the other hand absolutely central to understand mm. what's happening to us as individuals, what's happening to the society. I mean, I love it, Antonia, that, that explicitly, right at the beginning, you're saying this is about engagement in society. It's about mm. the democratic process. Yeah, I mean, you're completely right. I mean, uh, even when I say the word economics to a lot of people, they don't want to speak to me. They switch off. They think it's nothing to do with <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah. And what we're trying to do effectively is rebrand it and make um, everybody realise that it's not about these top-level abstract figures. It's about people's day-to-day -day lived experiences, and it's everything from what's happening with your pension, whether you can get a job, through to even the mental health provision 
in your area. But part of the problem is how it's presented, right? Because it's presented firstly as something that's completely value-free. So um, outside of uh, politics and philosophy, which we would say completely underpins it. And then secondly, it's prevent, uh, presented sorry, in uh, this incredibly abstract way with these huge numbers that don't mean anything to people. Yeah. So if, you know, there's some big announcement in the FT that says um, trade deficit or surplus has fallen, fallen to 600 billion, million, you know, people don't know and they switch off and they don't realise the implications for, you know, their day-to-day, their day-to-day life. Yeah. So, so I mean, what sort of reaction have you been getting? Because I imagine people are, there's quite must be quite a barrier to overcome in the sense mm. people say, oh, you're an expert, you're all the same, I can't, mm. boring, nothing to do with me. How, how do you break through that? What sort of reaction have you had? So I think almost paradoxically, the first thing you do is not actually talk about economics. Um, if you say economics, you do get this wall up. But if you just uh, broach the subject in different ways and reframe it, um, People are willing to talk about uh, talk to you about it. Um, something quite interesting on that actually is the economy in the twenty fifteen election was the second most talked about thing after the election itself. Oh, but interesting. Pre nineteen fifty, the economy didn't feature in a winning manifesto ever. Um, so the economy is this kind of thing that all policies at the moment are paying homage to, and you know talking um, talking about as if it's some sort of sacrosanct thing, whereas actually. It's a fairly new concept, almost used to kind of abstract other issues. Yeah, so yeah. if you talk about economics in a way that, um, uh, in in its different components, so whether it's um, public services, the private sector, um, jobs, people get it. If you use just the economy or economics, people switch off. I mean, I thought it was really interesting that you um, brought up about pensions. And one of the first jobs that I had... Uh, with the union ages ago was to sort of go round and talk to people about changes to their pension. I mean, I didn't do the talking about the changes to mm. the pension. I would just like to say that nobody was silly enough <laughs> to say, hey, Becky, would you go and try and convince everybody to go on to this particular scheme? But I found, as being like 22, having heard all of these different mm. kind of you know people talk about pensions, I, I understood... Pensions. I was like, ah, now I know why I have one, and now I know the difference between like a defined contribution pension and a defined uh, benefit pension. And I was literally the only person at parties going, so what kind of pension have you kind of got? So that's, I mean, I totally sympathise with that. Um, but actually, you know, if you think about the fact that UCU are in the middle of a big dispute with universities UK and universities mm. across the country about pensions, actually how many of us really understand what a pension is, uh, mm. how it relates to them now in work and then in the, in the future? Because a lot of people don't see it as like a, um, a deferred payment, do they? Because it is your salary that's going into... Absolutely. But in terms of a, of a potent industrial issue, an issue that will get people to vote for strike action and actually go out on strike... Yeah. Not just UCU, but but other mm. other people in various other places. A, a, yeah, the Royal Mail. Royal Mail, yeah. component partner, BT have had uh, and, and mm. CW have had their own big issues. Still have big issues about about pension scheme. It is a powerful, it's a powerful issue in the industrial relations landscape. And to not know, not to be able to understand what it's about is really yeah. worrying. Yeah, and I think there's a gulf as well between the kind of older trade union members of which mm. we have more of them than the, the younger ones as they kind of can have had the, the, the potential to have a really good pension for a bit longer mm. and they're coming close to actually receiving their pension you know yeah. do young people today really understand the importance of well that's that? I mean it's a really good question but I think young people today through no, no fault of their own have been told an incredibly 
um, depressing story about the uh, the economy and yeah. pensions, and yeah. you know they've effectively been told that you can jump through all of the loopholes and you can put your you know as much as you can towards your pension, but the prognosis is you're not going to have enough for your pension. Yeah. You're going to be working very you know to a very late age, and once you do finally retire, um, given wage levels at the moment there is no way you'll get a good pension so that's also not very inspiring story for people yeah. to kind of mobilize and yeah get Why behind yeah exactly well, it's not inspiring it's also disempowering because what the hell can you can you do about it it's, mm, i mean yeah. obviously we none of us i think would accept that there is nothing you can do about it but but mm, i mean that's yeah. it goes back to what you were saying antonia about about people traditionally seeing economics as something that was without value mm. and it was out there and was just like a, an independent moving force mm. that you couldn't exert any influence over yeah. Um, what, what What do you think is is the main issue um, for an everyday union rep, say a workplace rep, or even even a, a, a regional rep? What What are the sort of economic issues that you think would bear most heavily on their on their day to day lives? I mean, yeah. Gosh, I think there's so many. I mean, everything. I know you've done quite a lot of uh, work around uh, the changing nature of work, yeah. and also. For example, the displacement of workers from a central office. Um, you know, you talk about your Uber drivers yep. um, or your delivery drivers who actually only managed to um, mobilise once they were given a staff canteen. So they physically met the other de- delivery drivers. Yep. So that's, you know, that's something. But um, everything from that to the rise of automation is something that I think really needs to be understood by union reps. Um, but then there's also just so many day-to-day misconceptions um, made by everybody. For example debt and deficit interchanged all of the time um, and they are really really different things with completely different implications there's also a lot of um, metaphors that um, have taken hold quite strongly in the public psyche that really need to be unpacked for example the national budget being like a household budget yeah also something completely not true but that you know I think a lot of people subscribe to so it's a whole whole range of different things yeah that's a really good point actually I think when you go into negotiations Mm. and uh you're talking about kind of what issues, to what extent, when if a kind of financial person in a you know in a building is kind of going, oh yeah, well we've got this deficit, so therefore mm. we've got to do X Y Z, and kind of you hear that word and you go, oh. and it yeah. kind of then tricks you to you know sometimes take paths that you wouldn't necessarily. Not that yeah. I'm just caveating this with not that we've ever done that in a negotiation. <laughs> like the small print of no that's not happened to us. But mm. do you know what I mean? I can you can see all of these things would have a massive impact on how we operate and kind of what we do. And the stuff to do about debt as well, I think is yeah, going to be a massive issue for us that we still haven't got our heads around. And it's also I mean just to reiterate I think um the importance of understanding how value-laden economics is is really, really key in the trade union movement. For example, you look at austerity, and if you don't understand it is a political project with political ideology, then you know you may just think it is a necessary evil. Yeah. What, do you mean it's a political? <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! I, I, let's go back. Let's go back to. Uh, so there's two things really on that one. Firstly, you know, Mum Wright, who is my gauge of what mm. every normal person thinks <laughs> and feels, even though possibly that's not necessarily true. You know, she does very much see the household budget, mm. the household budget metaphor. She thinks that's makes cause it makes sense to her, yeah. and it makes sense in terms of her particular thing. But the TUC did polling just as the austerity was about to start, mm. and they and everybody saw it like a diet. 
Yeah. You go on a diet, you'll look super trim and gorgeous, and then well, yeah, you're back to it. normal. And we were like, oh, that's not how it is. And even George Osborne's tweet, when they said, oh, well, we're... You know, we got there in the end, like we'd all been on some kind of slim fast plan. You know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this kind of idea that we needed to balance the books, and so you know, exactly, we needed to squeeze our waistlines effectively. And yeah, I mean, it's it's nonsense, and especially when you see that uh, so many years on austerity after austerity has been implemented, and our is quality of life better? Has it all been balanced? No, of course it hasn't. So, yeah. Well, earning levels are still behind where they were. Where, you know where they were ten years or so ago in in, in many sectors, but mm. but the discussion we've just been having and, and, and my faux horror or ignorance about about austerity as a, as a political mm. choice that would be regarded as as almost um, I won't say heretical, but it's not heretical. It, 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 it would be it would be regarded as nakedly irresponsible, blatantly irresponsible by some people who would, mm. who would say, well, there is no there is no choice, there is no option. So mm. you know, I presume economy has to walk. You have to walk quite a delicate line to make sure that 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 although you're advocating there are values associated with economics, yeah. you're not prescribing what the right or wrong values are. No, so a key value of ours um, is pluralism, which is effectively the teaching of different economic models. So we are not necessarily saying the neoliberal or neoclassical model is wrong. We're saying we're just presenting it. We're just presenting the information and we're effectively pro-education. So we'll present that alongside feminist economics, Marxist economics, a whole different you know, range of schools. And what people decide to do with that information is effectively up to them. And we would see that as a sort of democratic success. Wow, where have you been all our lives? Yeah, I kind of give up my general anti-economics. But, you know, I went and studied labour studies over at the University of Amsterdam. And one of the first things that was said in our... So our labour studies, as it was, was very economics driven yeah. and I remember thinking this was not what I signed up for I wanted to look at like organisational like change and yeah. behaviour and kind of how unions fitted into that and, <laughs> and the guy was like well you know employers will always do what's in the best interest for employees mm, and I went interesting, mm, interesting. <laughs> and he went what's the matter I went that's not how that's I've just spent five years organising poorly paid work is like no that's mm, it's not mm. my experience anyway yes it is because that's what the theory suggests to us will be the thing and I'm like okay so here's your theory and here's the real world mm-hmm. and I'd like you two to meet that didn't endear me to my uh, professor um, <laughs> I very sorry left the course but you know it, it was a thing for me so when I hit when you were talking about making this much more about the real world it really mm. resonated with me because I think sometimes a lot of the kind of discussions around economics is just, well, look, this is what the theory tells us should be the case. So it should be. And it's like, well, it's not. So does the theory need to change? Maybe? Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's fundamentally about shifting economics from a hard science into a social science. So understanding um, that it comes with a whole range of philosophies and politics behind it. And it's interesting you talking about your experience at university because so we were born, uh, Economy was born out of a movement called Rethinking Economics um, which is still going today, it's an international student movement and Rethinking Economics was started around the time of the financial crash when a lot of economics graduates from top universities were realising that they couldn't explain the crash whatsoever and the one model they've been taught did not apply to the real world whatsoever and when friends and family were saying, oh so you do economics, financial crash happening, could you explain? 
and they were, you know, they were like, no, um, <laughs> they realised their degrees were completely not fit for purpose. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everything you're saying completely resonates with yes. me. Yes! <laughs> sure. I mean, but this, so, I mean, this is at that moment. Okay. I'm, I'm right. <laughs> Becky, Becky, you're right. I am. I'm literally right. We know this. Yeah, write my name, write my <laughs> name. Indeed. Okay. And tell you this, this, this sounds like a tremendous resource then for 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 trade unions, yes, but for but for all, but for mm. all of us, mm. if it gives us literally the words and the thoughts that, that we kind of feel but can't quite grab grab mm. hold of. So, so how how do listeners access this this sort of material? Yeah, so the main way is through our website. Um, our website is ecnmy.org. Um, so that is economy without the O's.org. Um, <laughs> and on there, we demystify the daily headlines, um, de-jargon them, make them accessible, hopefully fun and interesting. Um, you can either go on the website and see them um, or uh, get them delivered to your inbox. We've got a daily newsletter that um, summarises them all. We've also got um, at forward slash learn, so ecnmy.org forward slash learn, an effectively 10-part um, encyclopedia on everything economics, economics 101, but it's not economics, um, you know, that you'd be getting in a university lecture hall. It's economics broken down into you, your community, your workplace, your home, and what we think are as uh, what we think of as accessible touch points, effectively. Yeah, really good section on workers. So I would uh, recommend everybody going I and having a look. Do go and have a look, and if you if there's a drop down menu, listeners, which gives about twenty. This is not the only thing on the website, but about twenty five different subjects from mm. from strikes to Brexit to getting married to buying a house or renting or, or, or whatever. They are really good resources, really good articles. Yeah, you know, kind of fun to read as well as informing to read. So yeah. I, I couldn't oh. recommend it highly enough. Thank you very much. So, well, Antonia, thank you very much for spending time with us. And, and before before the tape started rolling, we were talking about the, com the communities of interest that, that Unions 21 and, and, and Economy have, and I, I hope we'll be seeing a lot more of each other and our colleagues. So, yeah, likewise. Thank you very much. Thanks, thank Antonia. Take care. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. I, I have to say, I, listening to it again, I, I'm struck by how refreshing it is to hear someone say absolutely explicitly economics is is not just ordained from above it's a whole set of value choices that people make yeah. and actually if you empower people to become more literate in it and to exercise more influence over the choices that are made you're improving democracy i just think those things are, are really positive yeah i think it's a great idea and i think they explain if you head over to their website the way they explain stuff to do with work is really really useful and i think it's Something that, regardless of your position in the union movement, head over, I think you'll learn quite quite a lot. Yeah, it's, I mean, I'd, I'd endorse that entirely. And I'm really pleased that Antonia is actually going to be speaking at our conference on the 13th of April. Smooth you, transition, you, Thank Simon. you very much. Thank you we very much. might have been away, but the smoothness of production <laughs> remains. You're too kind. I'll give you that five and later. <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, that is the big event. If you haven't got your ticket, there are still some available. Not Literally that many. Like three. No, no, there are more than that. But well, well. There, it is, <laughs> Simon's it, like looking at me as if to say, "Well, what I would say is, we have now very limited uh, ticket." That's what I said. <laughs> yeah, but 
<laughs> so, uh, and we have arranged everything for a particular number of people. Um, but we do have capacity to increase a little bit, but we've almost hit our numbers. So it's a question of if you haven't got your ticket and you really want to go, now's the time to get it. Absolutely, absolutely. And you can you can find the details of how to register and get your ticket on our website, yeah. www.unions21.org.uk. And at the conference itself. Exactly. So the, the theme of the conference is future of unions and we're looking um, at kind of three core areas four core areas what actually should be concerning unions of today around the future of unions and how are we going to respond to the increasing number of articles and think pieces which say we're rubbish well, no, there, now there, is it a, there, was just, uh, there was just one big one been, by someone who should, really should have known better. There was quite a few. There's been quite a few over the past sort of few months. But what I'm going to say is, is that this isn't an opportunity for us to start saying what we're really bad at. Actually, okay, we've had that discussion. We know that. It's how do you get out of that position? How do we really make ourselves the part, an integral part of the, um, the world of work going forward? So how do we get out of our silos? How do we go into new areas? How do we talk about collective voice? Um, there's something that Claire Sullivan's going to be talking about from the CSP that I'm really, really dead keen on that I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to come to conference and hear what Claire says. She's always a good speaker, is our Claire. Um, we've got Gavin Kelly coming to talk about some of the stuff that the Resolution Trust has been doing. And I think, you know, the interesting thing about Gavin is he's what I would call a critical friend to the movement. He likes to tell us what we're not doing so well but also he does give us ideas about how we can move forward we've got a session that we're doing in conjunction with Sperry on the future workforce and what we could do to change for the future workforce which is a really interesting group of academic and union speakers on that um, I'm really looking forward to hearing Peter Bloom from the Open University talk about his idea for uh, union learning. I've, I've not heard Peter speak before, so I, I should be intrigued. Yeah, uh, and then we'd, we've, um, we're working with the TUC in the upcoming months on their future of trade union education. So Kevin Rowan from the TUC is going to be talking about a recent survey of reps they've done about online learning, and Mary Bowsted is going to be talking about um, the future of union learn and the importance of unions in the kind of wider education world. And then we've got um, the final session is going to be on um, the future of collective voice and bargaining, where we'll have Mike Clancy from Prospect, uh, we'll have Matthew Taylor, and we'll have Karen O'Loughlin from SIP2, who have just signed quite a landmark collective bargaining agreement for freelancers over in Ireland. So we're going to find out a bit more about what SIP2 have done and see if there's anything that we might want to replicate going forward. And the key thing about this year's conference, above all others and above everything, everything else, is that the answers to these kind of rhetorical questions that, that Becky's been, been throwing out and these subject areas, you know, we, we're kind of fed up, really, in the sense that, that there's, you know, as I say, there have been some negative articles about the future of trade unionism. There, there seems to be a, a dearth sometimes of new practical thinking about things that, things that we can do at branch, regional and nas national levels, like tomorrow if we really wanted to. Yeah. And this conference is aiming squarely at those at those targets. Yeah, and what I'd say is, you know, I would say this all the time. 
our job isn't to tell unions what to do. Our job is to merely give unions a set of ideas that they can then go back and think about how it adapts back in their workplace. Because what works for one union very much might not work for another union. And I kind of think that giving unions a one-size-fits-all model is just asking for trouble because it's not going to work. And trouble is not what we want. Mm, I don't know. Anyway, listeners, as, as ever, it's been our pleasure to have you with us for, the, for this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we'd love to hear your views on this podcast or what we should include in future podcasts or any other general questions, queries or comments. You can email us at info at unions21.org.uk. You can find out more about what uh, Unions 21 is doing, as I say, at our website. Uh, we've got uh, uh, downloadable publications. We've got our blogs. Uh, you can access most of these podcasts as well uh, at www.unions21.org. Dot UK. So uh, hopefully we'll see you at the uh, at the Union Twenty One conference. But as we have many many more listeners than we've got places at the <laughs> the, the, the conference, um, if if not, then we'll certainly see you on the on the next podcast. Yeah. yeah. So until then, this is me, Simon Sapper. This is me, Becky Wright. Saying thanks for listening and Bye. goodbye. Bye. was presented by Becky Wright and Simon Sapper. It was a Makes You Think production.